Welcome to Grapevine, brought to you by the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. This is volume 40, number 47, online version number 35, recorded on the 20th of November 2020. In this week's programme, a fishing boat with a sinister catch. Is lockdown working a second time round? And a pub by any other name. Hello, I'm Andrew, your reader for this week. And I'll be doing my best to impersonate Graham as well. Our presenter and linchpin of the station, he's currently out of action. And everyone at Grapevine sends their best wishes to you, Graham. And we look forward to hearing you back on the air very soon. So we have our usual mix of news and views from Great Yarmouth and the wider Anglia region. So let's get underway. 72 people have been arrested after a fishing boat containing dozens of illegal migrants was stopped off the Norfolk coast. More than 250 officers intercepted the boat, which contained 69 migrants from Albania, off the coast of Great Yarmouth on Tuesday evening. Following the operation, three crew members, a Latvian national and two Ukrainian nationals, were arrested on suspicion of facilitating illegal immigration. The other 69 people on board, all Albanian nationals, were arrested on suspicion of offences under the Immigration Act. A people smuggling investigation has also been launched. The boat, which had travelled from the Ostend area of Belgium, was caught off the coast following a joint operation involving the National Crime Agency, the NCA, Immigration Enforcement and Border Force. The UK Law Enforcement Agencies then escorted the boat into Harwich on Wednesday evening and a search of the boat is still ongoing. Craig Naylor, Deputy Director of Investigation at the NCA, said... This was clearly a significant incident and a significant attempt to breach the UK's border controls. Our investigation into this attempt continues and I'd like to thank our partners at Essex Police, Border Force and Immigration Enforcement for all they did last night and their ongoing work in support of our investigation going forward. Working with our partners, we are determined to do all we can to disrupt and dismantle people's smuggling networks and prevent them from exploiting migrants for profit. Our aim is to target those who cause harm and to safeguard those who are most vulnerable while securing the United Kingdom's borders. A Norfolk teenager has won a scholarship to one of the country's most prestigious boarding schools. Flegg High Ormiston Academy student Eden Ollie is this year's winner of the Ormiston Trust Scholarship The Martham School pupil was one of just six students from across the country to attend an interview and selection weekend at Arundel School in Northamptonshire. She was accepted as an academic scholar and full boarder and will be studying art, geography and biology at A-level as well as English at pre-university and an IGCSE in Ancient Greek. That is a bit of a task, isn't it? The scholarship, open to any student in Year 11, at an Ormiston Academy is part of a partnership with Arundel and Gresham's independent schools. Flegg High School Principal Kate Williams said, We are delighted and very proud that Eden has secured this very exciting opportunity. And that's great news for a young person in these times. 
Now we have uh, some crime to report on. Police are appealing for help to trace a man who is wanted in Norfolk. Darren Ding, aged 42 and from Norwich, is wanted for breaching a community order and for failing to appear in court in connection with a theft offence. It is believed he could be in the Great Yarmouth or Norwich areas. Anyone who may have seen him or knows of his whereabouts should contact Norfolk Police on 101 or alternatively contact Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 Meanwhile, a man charged with a series of offences was refused entry to court after he turned up drunk. Ricardo Texera of Long Row, Norwich, had been charged with three counts of assault by beating of a police officer in Norwich on March the 4th this year and of being drunk and disorderly in Fybridge Street, Norwich, on the same date. Texera was due to appear at Norwich Magistrate Court on Wednesday the 18th of November of course but the court heard that although the defendant attended he was not allowed into the building by security staff as he was drunk. James Burrows who represented him confirmed that his client had attended but security at court deemed him quote not fit to be allowed entry into the building. He said it was the first time he had been refused entry to the court. Magistrates have adjourned the case until December the 9th at 10am. Now, obviously we're in the middle of our second lockdown and I have here an editorial piece from the EDP. I think it's important that uh, we read it and we're aware of the current state of affairs. I'm sure we all are, but this is the EDP's view on it and it makes for some very, very interesting listening. Today we're halfway through this circuit breaker lockdown. But, to be brutally frank, the results so far are disheartening. We have to hope that the second half sees a huge improvement with infection rates falling across Norfolk and Waveney. And that is where we all come in. For the time has come for us to stop playing the Covid blame game. We can point fingers at the lockdown breakers who have friends over for a few beers or fail to wear a mask in Tesco or do not use hand sanitizer. We can tut at the parents who gather by the school gate and shake our heads at those who drive 40 miles for a walk on the beach. But when we point a finger, three fingers are pointing back at ourselves and they should be a blunt reminder of the role we have to play. For the only way that we will edge away from the coronavirus cliff is by taking individual responsibility. We cannot force others to obey, but we can discipline ourselves to do so. Each of us should have the voice of conscience in our heads saying, Do you need to? Do you need to linger in the supermarket aisle because your head has been turned by a book or a Christmas decoration to go with your essential groceries? Do you need to go out for two walks today? Do you need to stop and chat with your friends in the park? If we listen to the voice, we will pare back our lives to the essentials, sacrificing the icing on life's cake for the greater good. It sounds simplistic, but if everybody stuck to the rules, then coronavirus would be on the run. It is only when we take risks that the virus can take liberties. Today in Wyndham, for example, life is going on fairly normally, despite Wyndham West with a rate of 987.1 cases per 100,000 people having the 24th highest rate in England 
and Wyndham East and Spooner Row at a rate of 76, 763, sorry, 0.8 cases, the 107th highest out of 6,791 areas. Many people would say it doesn't feel like a lockdown. Is that why, as we hear happening at Beckles Medical Centre, people think that it's okay to be abusive to NHS staff rather than give them a clap? There are also suggestions that we need Covid marshals at the school gate to police social distancing among parents and children. And others seem more fixated with their right to have a proper family Christmas than with the thoughts of the many whose festive season has been devastated by the death of a loved one. We are not at the centre of the universe. We are individual players in a game of life and death. And to mangle the words of John F. Kennedy, ask not what your neighbours should do to stop COVID, ask what you can do to stop COVID. So let's summon up the collective will to advance slowly against COVID-19 through relentless acts of self-sacrifice and rule-keeping. You never know, it might save Christmas. But what you do know is that it will save lives. Sobering words, I think, and uh, we should all reflect on them. Now, to a lighter subject. I think you all may remember a pub. You remember those places we used to go to and meet with our friends all those many, many months ago. And obviously each pub has a different name, a varying name, with a story behind it. And I have an article here on some names of some pubs in Norfolk. And I thought you might be interested to hear. I've picked five and to hear how they got their names. So we'll start with The Mischief, which is on Firebridge Street in Norwich. Once called the Wine Vaults and housed in a 16th century merchant's house, after the 1890s the pub traded as Carter Steward and Company Wine Vaults and didn't change its name to The Mischief until 1963. And at that time it boasted a sign that was a John Chrome version of the artist William Hogarth's 1843 painting the man with the load of mischief and the sign showed a sorry looking man wearing a chain labelled wedlock and carrying on his back a woman drinking a glass of gin while also holding a monkey and a magpie symbols of mischief and strife the sexist sign later changed to a picture of a mischievous little boy and then to mice as a group of mice is known as a mischief moving up the coast now we have the 20 church wardens at cockley cly Cockley Clay if you prefer, but we'll go with Cockley Clay. This estate pub is next door to All Saints Church. Once a round-towered church, but now towerless after the collapse on August the 29th in 1991. Cockley Clay was part of one of the Hilborough group of 10 parishes with two church wardens per parish, so 20 church wardens. The name is also associated with clay pipes, which were called church warden pipes as they were long-stemmed and used to smoke tobacco. Churchwarden pipes were named after churchwardens or night watchmen in the times when churches never locked their doors. Now, the wardens couldn't be expected to go all night without a smoke, so they had pipes made with an exceptionally long stem so the smoke and the pile wouldn't be in their line of sight as they kept watch. Fascinating. 
If we come down now the coast to Framingham Earl, just over the border really, the Railway Tavern. A fairly common name for a pub, but possibly not for one that isn't next to a railway, and indeed never has been. This pub opened as a free house in 1839, possibly trading as Framingham House. In the mid-19th century, during railway mania, Parliament considered a new line which would link Halesworth and Norwich via Bungay and Pouringland, but due to a lack of funds, it failed to materialise. It might have been called HS2, I don't know. The pub, however, had already changed its name in anticipation of the boom times to come. And in 1898, it looked like it had been a good idea. New plans were put forward for a light railway to be called the South Norfolk Light Railway, which would link Norwich with Beckles via Trouse, Pouringland, Seething, Loddon, Hales, Heckingham and Gillingham. But this plan failed too. But the railway tavern kept its quirky name. So let's come closer to home now. Uh, I'm sure many of you know the Barking Smack on Marine Parade. Well, prior to 1845, this seafront pub was called the Jacob Wells before, re before being rebuilt to become the Barking Smack Hotel. Uh, if you look there, you'll see there's, a, there's actually a date stone on the building. Owned by the Brewers Lakin & Co, which were originally founded in Great Yarmouth in, six, in 1640 and was bought by the Lakin family in 1760. The pub took its name from one of the 200 or so specialist fishing vessels which were registered to the port of Barking in Essex, which was one of the greatest fishing ports in England in the second quarter of the 19th century, and the Smacks were regular visitors to Great Yarmouth, but by 1860 <coughs> excuse me, the Barking fishing industry was already in deep decline, thanks to the popularity of railways to East Coast ports, which enabled fresh fish to be delivered to the London markets without delays caused by bad weather on the Thames. And finally, we come back to our own doorstep, really, and the famous Never Turn Back on Manor Road in Caister. Designed by the architect A.W. Eckerstone and built in 1956, the Never Turn Back is a memorial to the nine lifeboatmen who died in the Caister lifeboat disaster of November the 13th, 1901. When a stricken boat fired distress signals during a terrible gale, the lifeboat Beecham attempted to launch to go to its aid. It took three hours simply to get the boat to sea. Heavy seas capsized the boat, trapping the crew underneath, and nine men died. Asked at the inquest why the crews had persisted in the rescue, retired coxswain James Haylett said they would never give up the ship. If they had kept at it till now, they would have sailed about until daylight to help her. Going back is against the rules when we see distress signals like that. And the response was translated by journalists to Case to men never turn back. And never turn back later became a motto of the RNLI. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, when we are allowed out again to venture into the pubs, take a look at our names of any you might go into and just have a little think. I wonder how that name came by. Staying with pubs, the landlords of a coastal pub ploughed into a by car say there is, quote, a constant stream of drivers speeding past their window and that an accident was bound to happen sooner or later. Kerry and Aaron Gedge live and work above the Albion pub, which sits at the corner of Nelson Road Central and Albion Road in Great Yarmouth.
they also run the Great Eastern, which is directly opposite. Ever since the crash on October the 27th, they've been living in rented accommodation. Kerry said, our flat was destroyed in the crash. On the night of the accident, we had to book into a travel lodge with our dog. My husband was upstairs at the time and the car smashed into the pub just as I was on the phone to him. It was terrifying. The manager of the pub was working on the night of the accident in the Great Eastern. He said, I was standing outside when I saw a car hurtling down Nelson Road Central. The car hit a giveway sign outside the pub before flipping over and crashing into the pub's wall and entrance. Paramedics and firefighters attended, with the driver and the person he'd hit taken to the JPH for treatment for minor injuries, and a police investigation into the crash is ongoing. Though the pub is temporarily closed, Kerry Gage said she and her staff crossed the road between the two pubs multiple times every night, and that whenever a car approaches she flinches. She said, each night we hear drivers skating down that road at silly o'clock in the morning and it's such a busy road into town, but there aren't many points to cross. You can't expect everyone to head to the Regent Road traffic lights. It's not realistic. She added, something has to be done. We desperately need speed humps or more traffic calming measures in place. We're pleading with drivers to avoid putting their foot down and think of people's livelihood. But she said, regardless of what happened on this occasion, that road has always been an accident waiting to happen. It was just a matter of time. Final word on pubs. I went to a pub just before the first lockdown, actually. It was a, it was a bit of an upmarket one in Norwich, and you had to wear a tie. Well, I didn't have one. It was the summer, and the doorman refused me entry. Well, I arranged to meet friends in there, so I really wanted to get in. And um, anything I had with me that, that, that looked remotely like a tie in the car was a set of jump leads. So I put them round my neck, you know, like the old teddy boy style things, thin tie. And I went back to the pub. The doorman looked at me, then at the jump leads that were around my neck. And he looked back at me and said, OK, you can go in, but don't start anything. In other news... A proposal to knock down an outdated seafront house and replace it with something altogether more modern is in the hands of planners. The application seeks to tear down number 45 Marine Parade on Galston's sought-after seafront and build a three-storey house instead. The new home will be a, quote, dream house for the applicants, who will be closely involved in the build. If approved, a new contemporary building with a single-storey L-shaped extension at the back all with flat roofs, will take shape. Papers submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council say a mix of architecturally different homes is a characteristic of the area. Although the new house will see living space arranged over three storeys, it will be no higher than its neighbour to the north and retains the same space between homes. The drawings show a timber-clad home with feature stone walls made up of contemporary straight lines. The papers say the couple behind the home are active members of the community with a vested interest in the area. They add, there is a fantastic opportunity to capture wide open views to the sea from a high level and create a wonderful home which can take advantage of the stunning and enchanting setting. We strongly believe the proposal will lift the area and overall street scene and is the right architectural response for the occupants and the local area. The plans show a five-bedroom house with a study and open-plan living area on the ground floor and glass sliding doors all along the back. 
On the first floor, four ensuite bedrooms are proposed, with a master bedroom, dressing room, and living area and balcony on the third floor. The existing house, which doesn't look appear to be overly old, was last sold in July for £580,000. Inside, there are said to be playful curves with a light and modern feel taking advantage of its seafront setting and reminding the occupants endlessly of beautiful views of the sea. The project is being designed by the Norwich-based Paul Robinson Architectural Partnership. A bid to demolish another house at number 50 Marine Parade and build a three-storey modern house was approved this year. So I suppose a precedent has been set and, uh, as in many cases, it's often cheaper and quicker for the existing property to be demolished and a new one built rather than to try and amend it. It'll be interesting to see what happens. There are a few properties along Marine Parade there that do actually seem to fit in quite seamlessly to the surroundings, so I'm hopeful this one, if approved, won't be any different. Now, two communities have been dealt a blow after a post office branch closed in Great Yarmouth and another is set to close its doors in a coastal village. The post office has confirmed that its branch on St Peter's Road in Great Yarmouth has closed down, while the one in Borough Castle is to close next week. In a statement about the Yarmouth branch, it said, St Peter's Road post office unfortunately closed in September due to operational reasons and the premises no longer being available for post office use. We apologise for any inconvenience caused by the unplanned closure. We are trying to restore post office service to the area as we know how important it is to a community. In the interim, alternative branches include Great Yarmouth, South Town Road and North Deans. Dawn England, who lives on Northgate Street, said she was frustrated the closure had happened, quote, so quietly. It's a bit naughty of them, really, she said. I go in there every week with my 83-year-old mother, who lives that way, to pick up her pension because she doesn't like using the bank. We've had no notice or prior warning that it was closing and it has affected a lot of elderly members of the community who struggle to make the walk to the other post office branch in town. After the first lockdown, I was told the person running the post office was taking a holiday. She returned, but then disappeared again. I thought she was maybe taking another holiday. But when I asked where she was, I was told the post office would be shutting for good and that she wouldn't be coming back. Miss England said, For some older people, this closure will mean having to get a bus journey into town simply to pick up their pension. I really do think efforts should be made to try and keep this branch open. It was very convenient for a lot of people. And villagers in Borough Castle are said to be in shock after the surprise announcement that their post office would be closing for good following the retirement of its postmistress. The Borough Castle office will be closing on November the 26th and with it, the village's only ATM cash machine. In a letter sent to the parish council, post office change manager Wendy Hamilton said, other available options were being investigated and apologised for the inconvenience the temporary closure may cause. Ward councillor Adrian Myers said the whole thing was pretty sad. It's a great service for local people and came out of the blue, he said. On top of that, I know people were enjoying using the post office new nationwide scheme where a postman can collect a shoebox-sized parcel from your door for a flat rate of 71p. And I can't see that working without a physical post office for the postman to return it to. I can't reveal much of the detail now, but we're in talks which might see a new premises established as the current site is family-owned land. 
I'm about 60 to 70% hopeful we'll find an alternative. For Brian Swan, chair of the parish council, he said it's vital community members make their voices heard by stressing the importance of this lifeline service. You can't really do something about someone's retirement and in this instance Josie Thomas and her family have run the business for many years, he said. But what we really need is for the post office to help us find an alternative. The news came as a shock when we received it on Monday. It's our only bank and the only shop which sells essential items. Holidaymakers and residents heavily rely on it. Without it, our nearest post offices are Bradwell or Belton, but neither have a safe footpath or bus service. In a statement, a post office spokesman said, The postmaster for Borough Castle has decided to retire due to the coronavirus pandemic. <coughs> the premises will be withdrawn for post office use on Thursday the 26th of November at 4.30pm. We are currently investigating the options available, which will enable us to reinstate post offices services, as we know how important a post office is to the community. How very true, and especially in our current situation, our local community services are really vital. So let's hope a good outcome is found to that one. And sadly, staying with more potential closures, um, Greg's, the bakery chain, which has a store in Great Yarmouth Town Centre, is uh, cutting nationally 820 jobs. The boss warned that the pastry and sausage roll chain will not be profitable as a business if sales continue at the rates they have been in lockdown. It is not known whereabouts the job losses will be. In a statement posted on the Greg's Employee Information website, the Chief Executive said, Covid trading conditions have forced this action onto our business and we're all very saddened by the need to part company with around 820 friends and colleagues, many of whom have worked with us for many years. He went on to say that the battle with Covid hasn't gone away and is intensifying further. As lockdown measures continue to be in place across the four nations, Mr Whiteside added, at lockdown levels of sales, even after all of the mitigating action we have taken, Greg's will not be profitable as a business and there can be no room for complacency. Um, Just another victim that we probably don't even consider uh, without footfall in our town centres. All of our little ancillary shops and industries are, are suffering badly. I saw a picture in the national press the other day of a, a field down in Essex with uh, hundreds and hundreds of black cabs parked there. Uh, apparently with lockdown, the, the use of black cabs in the centre of London has plummeted by somewhere around 25% and drivers have just been handing back their vehicles to the rental companies. That was a really, uh, a really sad picture to see. Anyway, let's have some good news again. Back on the broads. And sailing enthusiasts have wasted no time in getting back out on the broads following a change in government lockdown guidance. On Tuesday, November the 10th, the Broads Authority updated their website to say that sailing, windsurfing, canoeing, rowing, kayaking and paddleboarding had all been permitted as forms of legitimate exercise by the Department for Environment and Rural Affairs. This is provided social distancing is maintained. Dr Mark Collins, chairman of the Northern Rivers Sailing Club, said this was fantastic news. He said he thought it was unfair that we shouldn't be able to take our boats out as exercise and just wanted some consistency from the government. We understand we can't use them to travel anywhere, but as general exercise we couldn't see anything wrong with sailing. A lot of our club members are retired and for them sailing out on their own is a great way of keeping fit. Yeah, I think it's great that people can get out. I wonder how um, tennis players and golfers 
will will greet that news as well because I'm sure they feel a little aggrieved that uh, they can't indulge in their in their favourite sports. But you can always go for a walk on the beach, and a new beach access um, that we have at Scrapby is actually going to close in the new year for two weeks to allow for some further improvements. The new slope uh, at Scrapby opened without fanfare due to the first lockdown, but has been hailed a great success, allowing more people to get down to the sands more easily. However, with children and dogs sometimes leaving the path and sliding down the banks, material had come loose and fallen onto the surface. Jeff Freeman at Ormsby with Scrapby Parish Council said the slope was an unbelievable improvement on what there was there before, adding, we knew at the beginning there might be additional things that would need doing. We can see now that we can improve on it a bit. The upgrade will likely involve a retaining wall to keep the banks secure and planting marram grass to further bind the surfaces, as well as netting to prevent people from dipping under the rail. The ramp will be off limits for two weeks while the work is carried out, probably in the new year, he said. Yeah, that really is a good improvement to the area there, so I'm sure that's only going to help. Continuing on the good news... More than 80,000 children across Britain will see a pioneering, pandemic-beating panto being staged in Norfolk. Sheringham Little Theatre, Great Yarmouth St George's Theatre and Norfolk County Council's Music Hub have teamed up to put on Rapunzel the Lockdown Pantomime, which will be staged live and streamed to schools as far away as Scotland, Northern Ireland, Leeds, Southampton and the Borough of London. Debbie Thompson, director of both theatres, said... She was delighted by response to the performance, which was only intended to be live-streamed to 5,000 children in Norfolk schools. She said, We are thrilled this project has taken off so well. It shows the hunger for live pantomime, which is a great time for us to engage with children. It is often their first experience of live theatre, and we know how much they enjoy coming to a live pantomime as a Christmas treat. The pandemic is stopping some of the traditional festive fun this year, but we were determined to ensure youngsters didn't miss out. So when we heard the Music Hub were looking to team up with a local panto, we offered our services. And everyone is a winner, from the audiences to the venues and the performers. Krista Ribbons, the Music Hub's area manager, said, The uptake from across the country has been amazing. Young people have had a tough year and were in danger of missing out on Christmas treats. So they were really keen to get involved in a bit of festive fun. The show will be videoed and streamed on December the 16th from St George's Theatre, where the live shows are also happening on December 15th, 17th, 18th and 19th, before moving to Sheringham for December 22nd, 23rd and the 24th. The Music Hub aims to give children the chance to experience live music making and seeing a live four-piece band. Schools are using online resources to learn seven sing-along songs and there's also the option to sign the songs where school rules don't allow singing. To book tickets, which are £12 or £8 for the under-16s at Sheringham and £10 and £6 for the under-16s at Great Yarmouth, visit www. and this is all one word, sheringhamlittletheatre.com or www. again all one word, stgeorgestheatre.com. Oh, that's really good. We wish them every success. And finally... On the entertainment news, um, we had the passing this week of uh, the great and I think underrated Des O'Connor and uh, our uh, ever-reliable Peggotty 
has put the following piece in the Mercury, and it's uh, it's a good it's a good listen. I'll uh, do my best to try and give you the full flavour of it. The death at the weekend of star entertainer Des O'Connor reminded me of his summer season here in Great Yarmouth in 1968, with a novel opening to his show. He was topping the bill at the Wellington Pier Pavilion, and I was in the audience there to review the show for the Mercury's sister newspapers the Eastern Daily Press and the Eastern Evening News. The audience included civic leaders, hoteliers, business people, prominent local citizens and holidaymakers. But before the curtain rose to reveal the dancing girls as usual, Des appeared on stage to announce that to put the audience in the right mood for the holiday production, he intended to host a game of bingo. So that explained why bingo cards were there for the audience. Onto the stage came a gleaming chrome motor scooter, the prize for the bingo winner. So up went the house lights and we settled down. Des called the numbers, aided by then Pleasure Beach owner Mr Albert Botton. And the peckety palms began to sweat when I needed only one number to win. A few numbers later, out came the one I needed. But my cry of bingo or house or whatever was lost in the din because every one of the 1,200 audience shouted that at the same moment. There was a moment's stunned silence before we all realised that we had been duped. I would not sadly be riding home on a top-of-the-range motor scooter, and nor would any of my fellow members of the audience. I wonder if Housey Housey was played before every performance, when visitors would comprise most of the audience. For the record, Des also spent summer seasons here in 1959 at the Royal Aquarium, where Lonnie Donegan was the star attraction, and on 1964 at the Britannia Pier in a bill topped by David Whitfield. Uh, great days, I think we, uh, many of us can remember those 60s when the, when the stars became part of our town through the summer and uh, they weren't hidden away behind uh, burly minders or tinted windows. Sitting here so lonely in the firelight Listening for a footstep on the stairs All I have to talk to is the moonlight Shining on an empty chair So I'll pretend Your loving arms are reaching out for me Yes, I'll pretend And though my eyes are closed, I still can see As I pretend The world is new and like it used to be Stand. Till then I'll just pretend Something made her change, what could it be now? Wish I knew exactly what I'd done If there's someone else, I'll set you free now Yes, I've lost and he has won So I'll pretend 
Your loving arms reaching out for me Yes, I'll pretend And though my eyes are closed, I still can see As I pretend The world is new and like it used to be One day our love must end Till then I'll just pretend One day our love must end Till then I'll just pretend. A Norfolk County Councillor and Deputy Group Leader is set to retire next year after over three decades in local government. Mick Castle, County Councillor for Yarmouth North and Central and Deputy Leader of County Hall's Independent Group, will step down as a councillor as of the next set of council elections in May 2021. Mr Castle, who was first elected in 1988 following a by-election in the former Yarmouth South Town and Cobham Division, formed the Independent Group alongside the West Norfolk ex-Conservative member Sandra Squire in 2018 after leaving the Labour Party. He initially served as the leader of the group, which was formed as an alliance to tackle education issues. Mr Castle said, I've had a good time as a local councillor and I think there comes a time when you should stand aside and let someone younger take over. Sandra and I came from different strands of politics, but we were able to unite and work together. The independent group has been an important part of my council career and I've got the utmost respect for my colleagues. It was difficult for me to leave the Labour Party over the issue of the school's merger in Yarmouth. I would have been a bit of a lost soul if I hadn't been able to forge a new alliance. And on the issue of gender attainment, which sees boys achieve worse educational results than girls, he added, there's about 300,000 more women than men in higher education. If this were to carry on, it would be a hard time for men in the future. Group leader Sandra Squire added, Mick's contribution to local government will be missed when he steps down and I wish him a long and happy retirement. It's been an honour and a pleasure working alongside him. He has taught me a lot since we formed the independent group together almost three years ago. His experience, advice and support have been invaluable. Mr Castle was Norfolk's first cabinet member for economic development and chairman of the Norwich Airport Company from 1996 to 98 and the Great Yarmouth Port Authority from 1999 to 2004. In 2013 he was cabinet member for schools as part of the Cross-Party Rainbow Alliance and has since sat on the Flood Defence Committee and the A47 Alliance and he stepped down as deputy group leader from November the 11th. He's been a really good servant to the borough too as, as, as Mick Castle and uh, I hope he does have a long and happy retirement. Now um, I think many of you are familiar with Siobhan Mead who writes regularly in the Mercury and there's an article in this week which I'd like to read to you um, as Siobhan always is a very insightful uh, into uh, her situation and that of many others and this is what she has to say this week. Blindness has been part of my life since birth. 
This month, however, someone reminded me how blind I am when they posted onto YouTube about my Blind Girl Vlogs channel. One of the comments was, Notice you claim to be blind. In a no-nonsense counter-strike, I made a vlog on the YouTube channel. I invited the YouTube troll to apologise, but surprise, surprise, they have not responded. People with disabilities are very used to people speculating whether they are faking it. If you do this, you are the problem. It's founded in ignorance in every case. For instance, this person doesn't educate themselves as to how someone without sight can use technology. In other cases, Facebook posts appear asking how a mobility scooter user uses a mobility aid, then at the pub they're standing up at the bar. They are usually supported by friends who all claim to know a faking Frankie, when in reality they may or may not have seen a mobility scooter user who can stand for short periods or walk 200 metres in pain, but someone who couldn't otherwise make the one mile journey to the pub or shop without their mobility aid. Not every disabled person can prove their disability to you, and not every blind person has prosthetic eyes to be in a position to prove their disability to people. My point is simple. Mind your own business and use Google to learn. Then you may understand how some guide dog owners with limited re residual sight may be able to read a phone but not walk unaided down a street. It's perhaps a sign of the divisive times. But as the old expression goes, can't we all just get along? Very well said, I think, Siobhan. Very well said. <laughs>
going to be able to do it as slickly as you but uh, that's sent with the best wishes from everyone here thank you everybody for listening keep safe keep smiling and we'll see you soon on grapevine goodbye now